The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. As we've worked through this book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen that Paul has been laying the foundation of the gospel. He's been focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you remember, he uh, went to Corinth and the church was formed under Paul's leadership that he served in Corinth for 18 months leading the church there. Now he's addressing some issues. There's been some correspondence from Corinth to Paul, and they asked some questions. And we don't know exactly everything they wrote or everything they asked. We have half of, the con- of a telephone conversation, so to speak. We're listening to Paul's response without hearing exactly what they said. And Paul is addressing some issues that are happening here at Corinth, this busy, wealthy city, a city where there's a lot of... Uh, uh, idolatrous and pagan uh, philosophy and background, and the church is formed, and God has been glorified in this church. But he has some issues that he needs to address with them. And specifically, we've been looking at how he's been addressing issues regarding corporate worship, when the church gathers together to worship. And he's talked about uh, head coverings. He's talked about women and, and the, the need to wear head coverings within the church in Corinth. He's talked about the Lord's Supper. And now he's going to be talking about spiritual Gifts, And as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be here a little while talking about spiritual gifts. My intent was to try to get through a good section today, get through verses 1 through 11, but we're just going to cover verses 1 through 7 because there's so much here in the text that I want us to see. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 7. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul begins this section by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. However, it's important to note that the word gifts does not appear in the original Greek and has been added for clarity. That if you're reading from the New American Standard Version, as I did, that you'll see that the word gifts is in italics. And they do that so that you know it's not in the original text, but it's added because it seems to be implied. One of the reasons I really appreciate the New American Standard is that it does that. Uh, I love the ESV, a great, great uh, translation, great version of the Bible, and I, I miss that, that it uh, does not do that. So instead, the text actually only uses the plural form of the adjective spiritual here. So Paul more literally says this, and concerning the spiritual things, or concerning that which is spiritual, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, Paul is not focused just on spiritual gifts. 
Spiritual gifts, by the way, are special tools or abilities that God gives believers to fulfill the mission of the church. And we think of spiritual gifts, and as we work through these next uh, couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians, we'll define spiritual gifts more specifically. But just by way of introduction, I want to say, I don't think Scripture gives us a complete list of spiritual gifts. We see three different lists in Scripture, and the lists don't correspond exactly. I don't think we have a complete list in Scripture per se. I think there are types of gifts, and those gifts are defined in Scripture, or um, talked about in Scripture, but God gifts His believers. When somebody becomes a believer, they're given a special gift, a special tool by which they may fulfill or help fulfill the mission of the church. It's something separate from a natural talent that we have. Something that God imparts. And maybe not even permanently. Maybe for a period of time. And He strengthens some gifts, at very, uh, different gifts at various times depending on the need of the church and the ministry. So the, the point though is that um, uh, Paul, he's not focused on just spiritual gifts, but instead on spiritual matters in general. That's why Paul finishes this larger section in verse uh, 37 of chapter 14 by using the same adjective, spiritual. This time he refers to people though. He says, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, if anyone thinks he is spiritual, let him recognize the things that I wrote to you, that they are the Lord's commandment. So when I use the term spiritual, what I want you to know is that I'm not using it like our culture uses it, nor is Paul. I'm not talking about those who are merely religious or those who believe in the spirit world. Oftentimes we see people in our culture and we say, wow, they're a real spiritual person because they believe in the spirit world, because they're religious in nature. In fact, I had somebody yesterday, a woman say to me, well, I grew up in the Catholic church, just talking about church and Christianity. She said, I grew up in the Catholic church but I don't go to church anymore because my husband's not religious. And I, I thought of saying, and I probably should have said, well, neither am I, right? Because oftentimes we use this nebulous, this, this uh, idea of spirit being spiritual as something uh, without boundaries or walls, but just this idea that somebody's interested in the spirit world. Instead, what I'm talking about is those whose spirituality is based on truth, when I use the term spiritual. And I believe Paul is doing the same thing, that he's speaking of those who are born of and led by the Spirit of God. That they are born again, they've trusted in Jesus Christ, they've been made new by trusting in Jesus Christ and His death, His burial, His resurrection, and that they are now living in such a way that they are being led by the Spirit of God. So in other words, as we work our way through chapters 12-14 through 14 over the next several weeks, we're going to see that Paul is addressing what it means to be spiritual. What it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. Which, of course, includes spiritual gifts. It includes using one's spiritual gifts for God's glory and the good of the church. So, I also want to stress, it's evident that in chapters 12-14, through 14, Paul does not want the Corinthian believers to view spiritual gifts as the litmus test. It seems like the issue really that's going on here is that they're using spiritual gifts as the sole measuring tool, the litmus test, for whether or not someone was led by the Spirit. And certainly as we know that someone can be gifted mightily, but not use their gift for God's glory. While another might be 
have a seemingly less important gift, and I say seemingly intentionally, they may have a gift that, that seems like it's not as important, maybe the gift of service or the gift of helps or the gift of administration, but they're faithful in using that gift. So we can't measure one's spirituality, we can't measure how much they're led by the Spirit by their spiritual gifts. And Paul wants to correct that error in the church in Corinth. Now, as I mentioned last week, and the, actually and the week before, the major issue facing the church in Corinth, and I become more and more convinced of this as I read through 1 Corinthians, is the same, church, same issue that every church struggles with on some degree, and that is the issue of pride. Just as the Corinthian women sought their own glory, they shot, sought to show their own honor and worth by not covering their heads, just as the Corinthians sought to, to demonstrate their own glory or to uh, point to their own honor and worth by eating the Lord's Supper before the others had time rather than putting themselves first. So also today we see that many in Corinth, they sought their own glory by using their talents and their abilities and even their spiritual gifts for those who are believers to bring attention to themselves rather than to God. So with that in mind, look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 of chapter 12. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. Paul's words here are a sober reminder of the past. He says, I want you to know, I want you to remember that before you were Christians, you were pagans, and you were actually led astray by idols. You were led astray by a carving made out of stone or, or wood or metal. And it was one that was made with human hands. You were led astray by an idol, something made with human hands that could not even speak. It was mute. And by reminding them of their past, Paul is issuing a very severe warning for the present dangers that face them. If they could be led astray by an inanimate object, how much more might they be in danger of being led astray by a person? How much more might they be in danger of being led astray by someone with a voice? That's why Jesus in Matthew 24.11 Himself warned. He said, Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And why Paul in Acts 20, verses 29-30 through 30, says to the church in Ephesus, I know that after My departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And Peter says it in 2 Peter 2.1. He says, but false prophets are also arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And John says it in 1 John 4, verses 1-3. through 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. You see, Paul wants the Corinthian believers to remember how easily they once were led astray. They bowed down and worshipped idols that couldn't even speak. So the implication is clear. Be careful. 
Be careful to remember what you see and hear needs to be examined. Don't just assume that because someone appears to be gifted, they are indeed spiritual. False teachers appear to be gifted and may even have natural talent. They may even have natural talents without even knowing Jesus, and they can appear to be gifted without even knowing Jesus. And in the same sense, immature believers may have gifts, but that's not a sign of maturity. So with all of this as the foundation, what follows are three ways in which those who are led by the Spirit glorify God. Paul says, you want to know who is led by the Spirit? I'll show you three ways in which those who are led by the Spirit glorify God. And by implication, not themselves. So with all that, the first point on our sermon outline is, number one, God is glorified through proclamation. Number one, God is glorified through proclamation. Look at verse 3 with me. Paul writes, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now we need to use some common sense here when considering this passage. Because clearly Paul means more than just uttering those words. Clearly he does not mean that, that if someone says Jesus is accursed that they don't have the Spirit of God within them. Right? I, I just said those words. And Paul actually wrote those words um, while being led by the Holy Spirit to write those words. The point is that the content of one's speech is important, is important in determining whether they are spiritual. That the content of one's speech speaks to whether they are indeed spiritual. Whether they are a believer and whether they are mature. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that somehow we need to have uh, Christianese or that those who are spiritual speak in this certain King James kind of language that they speaketh and King Jameseth. right? Or that they pray these high and lofty prayers. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a certain theological vocabulary even. That they use big theological terms. Paul's point is much simpler than that. His point is, if one's speech and or actions deny the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is not the source. That if I stand up here and my speech and my actions deny the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that does not come from the Holy Spirit. You see this all the time in cults. You know, cults, cults start with oftentimes with a wonderfully gifted speaker. Somebody who can use his natural speaking ability, his teaching ability, to steer people a certain direction. Or a very charismatic leader. Someone who appears to be mightily gifted, maybe even by God, to bring people together, to draw people in. Somebody who is just, people are attracted to. But then they deny the gospel. And Paul says that is not from the Holy Spirit. By the way, just by way of point of reference here, when I talk about the gospel, I talk about the good, I'm talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes on Sunday morning, we talk about the importance of the gospel, we talk about needing to remember the gospel, we talk about sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, but I think there's also something important in just remembering what the gospel is. Not to just say we need to remember what the gospel is, but to say what the gospel is. To remember 
that we were dead in our sin. That everyone, Scripture teaches, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, no, not one, is what Scripture teaches. That God's standard is perfection. And I've said this many times, it's like me trying to throw a rock and hitting the moon. I can't achieve that standard. And some of us might get closer, we might be able to throw that rock further. But none of us have achieved that standard of perfection. We have all sinned, we've all fallen short. But God, in His grace, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. That He came, He lived a perfect life, He was the perfect sacrifice for us. He took the punishment that we deserved, and He died on the cross. But He didn't just die. That instead He was raised three days later, defeating death, showing that He was God, showing that death did not have victory over Him, but instead that He defeated death, that He defeated sin, and that by placing our trust in Him, by following Him, and it's not some superstitious thing. It's not about praying a certain prayer or walking an aisle or raising your hands. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ. It's about believing that it's only by grace that one can be saved from the penalty of sin. That when we believe that, that we are then brought into a church family. We're brought into the body of Christ, not the local church, but we're brought into the church universal, the, the church that exceeds, extends beyond all boundaries, beyond time, that Jesus brings us into His family and that we will be rescued once and for all by Him, that we will spend eternity with Him in heaven. That's what I mean by the Gospel. And, and I think it's important to say that as we talk about the importance of the Gospel here. So by saying Jesus is accursed, one is saying they're denying the gospel. They're denying who Jesus is and what his work accomplished. It's denying all of what I just said. And they're not spiritual. Anyone who says that, regardless of how gifted they are, they do not have the Spirit of God in them. So to say that our friends that live in uh, nearby that are Mormons or that are Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not trying to pick on people. But to say that those people are spiritual, our culture may say they're spiritual, but when they deny the gospel of Jesus Christ, who He is and what His work accomplished, that they are not spiritual as Paul is using the term here. So we see that the Corinthians may have written to Paul and they said, we have these spiritual men in the church. And Paul says, let me tell you what it means to be spiritual. Here's what it means to be spiritual. The content, number one, the content of one's speech is important in determining this. So those who deny the gospel are not spiritual because they do not have the Spirit of God in them. The opposite is also true. Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Again, the point is more than just an utterance of words. For Jesus Himself in Matthew 7, 21 said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Clearly, it's more than just an uh, uttering of words. It's more than just a walking an aisle. The point is that no one can say and mean that He is Lord and submit to His Lordship without a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So again, the question to ask is, does this person's speech 
and actions glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, by the way, doesn't mean that we do it all the time well. It doesn't mean that we do it perfectly all the time. I doubt there's a person in this room that doesn't need to work on their speech. I doubt that there's a person in this room that says, yeah, you know, this week I've done really good and I can't think of anything that I could have improved on. That I glorified God in everything I did. However, if a professing believer's speech and or the way they live, the way they use their spiritual gifts doesn't regularly point to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, if they're not pointing others to the gospel, if they're not lifting up and presenting the gospel, then they're not spiritual. They're not being led by the Spirit of God. Which either means they don't have the Spirit of God within them, that they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or that they need to submit to His leading. That they need to grow in maturity. So Paul's point is, those who are spiritual glorify God through proclamation. They live in such a way that they are proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed. I don't care how gifted they may seem. They proclaim the gospel. They lift up the name of Jesus Christ, not themselves. And they do so in word and deed. So having seen point number one, that God is glorified through proclamation, let's consider the second point in our sermon outline. Number two, God is glorified through obedience. God is glorified through obedience. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me. Paul writes this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. I am convinced. I am fully convinced that this is one of the most encouraging texts for any church and all of church life. That as I've reflected on this text this week, I have felt nothing but encouragement for what Paul says in this text. He says there are varieties, and the term varieties refers to uh, allotments or distributions, things given out, that they're handed out. And there's a, uh, differences in them, a variety of them. There are many different types. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, it's the same Spirit who gives them all. That there are differing gifts. That sometimes somebody may be given the gift of administration and another may be given the gift of teaching and another may be given given the gift of helps, but it's the same Spirit who gives them all out. So it's not like Bill can walk up to Lucy after the service and go, hey, where'd you get that gift of service? I got my gift of teaching from the Holy Spirit, right? Where'd you? It's the same Spirit who gives both gifts. So when the Spirit gives Lucy the gift of service and gives Bill the gift of teaching, we don't say, wow, Bill's really special. Instead we say, wow, the Holy Spirit gave them both gifts. The source is the same. Praise God. You see, what makes the gift so great is the giver. It's the source of the gift. It's the same Holy Spirit who distributes all gifts Paul goes on and says, and there are varieties of ministries. There are varieties of ways in which those gifts are lived out, are used, are played out, are are used for service. That there are varieties of ways in which those gifts are used in serving others. 
the two people may have the gift of teaching and use them in very different contexts or use them in different ways. He says, but it's the same Lord who oversees them. It's the same Lord. That it's Jesus Christ who sees that, who, who uh, helps those gifts be used in various contexts. Oh, for pastors to learn this lesson. You know, thinking about this, pastors are often, usually have the gift of teaching or the gift of prophecy. Usually both, I, I would argue. that They have the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy. They have the ability, uh, God-given ability, not in and of themselves, but the ability to teach Scripture and apply it to people's lives. Help them apply it and speak truth into people's lives. But they have a variety of different ministries. Not every pastor has the exact same ministry as another. They, mo- they may both have the same gift, but their ministry, the way they use that gift and the living out of that gift, looks different. But it's the same Lord. It's the same Lord who oversees it and places them in that position. No, for congregations to learn this too. There are a variety of ministries. It's so easy as a pastor to meet another pastor. And you go to a pastor's conference... And the first thing that every pastor asks, or one of the first things is, how big is your church, right? And it's so easy to say, and I've been there, I've been in both, right? So it's actually easy to be the guy who's the pastor of a small church and say, oh, it's just a small church, and you know, we've got like, I don't know, ten people, or five, or four, or something, and what, you know, and to feel like somehow you're longing for the bigger ministry. And the guy with the bigger ministry longs for the small ministry. He's actually like, wow, it must be so great to have people you can actually minister to and know, like know them by name. And there are strengths and weaknesses for both. The point is not to say that there isn't. The point is that God, there's a variety of ministries and it's the same Lord that He oversees those ministries and He places people where He uses them. The same is true for congregations. I've seen congregations long for the ministry of, a, of another church. It, it would be wrong for Spruce Head to say, oh wow, Harmony, they really, they did something amazing at, at uh, St. George Day's yesterday. We want to be just like them. We want that ministry. And if they show up at 7 o'clock next year before we show up and they claim the hill... Right? And they set up all like they bring two bounce houses and they set up a table and they give out Bibles and they have the same games. Right? There's a problem. In the same way, if we look at them and say, wow, you know, they do really well with VBS. Why can't we do VBS just like that? Now, there's nothing wrong with VBS. I'm not saying we shouldn't, that there's anything wrong with it, even that we shouldn't do VBS. But when we look to another ministry and we say, I don't want this ministry, I want that ministry, there's a problem. It's the Lord who ordains the ministries that we have. Paul goes on and he says, and there are a variety of effects. And literally, this means what is worked out. There are, there are a variety of things that are worked out. There are a variety of outcomes but the same God who works all things in all persons. There are a variety of outcomes, but it's the same God who works all things in all persons. It's God who is building His church. We may very well do the same thing. We may decide, let's do VBS this year. And the outcome may be completely different than the outcome at the church down the street. But God is the one who's sovereign. God is the one who's in control. There are a variety of effects, variety of outcomes. 
but God gives us all gifts to be used for his glory. I love this. He says, he says in this text that we all have spiritual gifts, right? But it's the same God who works all things in all persons. Really, every believer, we get this from this text, that every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift. And he's going to use them in varying, various ways. You know, even when the results are hard to see, we need to remember that he is the one who works things out for his good pleasure. So the takeaway for these verses, the takeaway is be obedient. Don't spend your time longing for another's gifts. Don't think, oh, I wish I had the gift of teaching. Don't spend your time longing for another's ministry. Why can't I be the deacon? Why can't I be the pastor? Why can't I be the Sunday school teacher? Don't long for another's ministry. And don't spend your time longing for a different result of your service to the kingdom. Instead, faithfully serve. There is something to say. God, I pray that you would bring this peninsula to Jesus Christ. And I pray that consistently. But I don't long for something different to happen when I get up and preach. I don't long to say, you know, maybe this is the Sunday that everybody's going to come in and God's going to use me mightily. Heaven forbid. Instead I say, God, I pray that you would just work mightily in and through your servants. That you would be glorified. You've given different believers different gifts. You've given them different ministries. And you are sovereign over the outcome. And I pray and ask that you would be glorified whatever that looks like. So don't long for another's gifts. Don't long for another's ministry. And don't spend your time longing for a different result every time you serve. Instead, bloom where you're planted. Be used where God has you. Again, I have to say, this, as I've worked through this, has been probably one of the most freeing uh, sections of Scripture, I think, for the local church as we seek to live this out. We realize we don't look like other churches. We're gifted differently. We have different believers within the context, within the, this context in the local church. We're each given different ministries. But God has promised that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Praise God for that. So as we've seen so far, number one, God is glorified through proclamation. And number two, God is glorified through obedience. Regardless of your gift or your ministry or the outcome, God is glorified in you just being obedient. Let's consider the third point in our sermon outline. The third point is God is glorified through kingdom-mindedness. Look at verse 7 with me. God is glorified through kingdom-mindedness. Verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul says that the Spirit gives gifts as He wills so that He is manifested, so that He is made known, is what that term means, He's made known in believers. God gives, the Spirit gives gifts so that He can be made known in believers. Why? He says, for the common good. He manifests Himself in us so that we can love and serve others in the body of Christ. He doesn't give us gifts to serve ourselves, but instead so that we might build each other up. Praise God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children, 
tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up in love. See, God gives us gifts, but He does so not for our glory, but for His. He gives us gifts not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others, for the sake of the body as a whole, so that the body might benefit. This is seen especially in the local church. Right? We have lots of people with various gifts and different ministries, but they're all being intentional about living life together. We're called to be intentional about the commands to love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, admonish one another, and more. We're called to be very intentional about these things inside the body of the local church. And God's given us gifts so that we can be built up, so that we can grow in Him, so that we can become, as Ephesians says, more mature, attain the full stature of matureness. We want to grow in maturity and be like Christ. But this also applies to Christ's body outside the local church. He gives us gifts for the common good of His greater body. He gives us gifts not only for use in this congregation. Yes, it is first and foremost in the local church, but it also extends beyond the walls of this building. It's for the body of Christ as a whole. It's very easy to get into the mindset of building our own little kingdom here on earth. It's very, very easy. And I battle that. And as a pastor, I try to battle that well. And I try, one of the things that I try to do is to pray specifically for Spruce Head, knowing that they're just down the road, that their ministry, their purpose should be the same as ours, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help them grow in maturity, to make them disciples. We're playing for the same team. So it's important that we pray for them. It's important that we pray for other area churches. So we can be united and recognizing it's not about our kingdom. It's not about filling these pews or making the offering bigger or any of that. It's not about being big enough so I can be full time. And you know what? Those things aren't bad. It's not bad to say, it would be great if the church was full, right? Because then the community is being reached. It wouldn't be bad to say if the offering was bigger, maybe we could give more money to missions. Maybe we could reach the community more. Maybe we'd have more resources. Those aren't bad things. But when it becomes all about our kingdom, we have a problem. God has given us gifts for His kingdom, not the little kingdom called Harmony Bible Church. Not, not our own little kingdom in our homes. We're so, just really been hit this past week about how much we live like kings in our culture. Even this morning, I'm, I'm reading a book about um, the furniture industry, ironically enough, down south and and the way that has changed over the years. And reading about how people lived, the money they made, the tiny amounts of money they made, and the way they lived in such poverty. And as I'm brushing my teeth this morning, I'm thinking, we live like kings. Even the poorest among us have so much more. And I had to think, God, am I, am I spending too much time building my kingdom and not enough time focusing on building your kingdom? How am I using my gifts to bring glory to you and not me? See, the building up of a body should be local, but it should also be global. 
We need to be thinking about what we're doing to build the body of Christ, not just here in this church, but in this community and around the world. So having seen three ways in which those who are led by the Spirit glorify God, number one, God is glorified through proclamation. Number two, God is glorified through obedience. And number three, God is glorified through kingdom-mindedness. We need to ask ourselves the big question. The big question is, how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically, here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take what we just learned, God is glorified through proclamation, obedience, and kingdom-mindedness, that those who are spiritual glorify God through those things, how do we take and then apply that and live that out, both as individuals and as a church body? Well, number one, we need to glorify God through proclamation. The, the, the application isn't that hard. We need to glorify, isn't hard to understand, it's hard to live. We need to glorify God through proclamation. We need to point to Jesus as Lord and Savior with our speech, with our deeds, day in, day out. And we need to grow in that. Every one of us needs to grow in that. And that's going to look different. Why? Because we have different gifts. We have different ministries. And there's going to be different outcomes. And Bill may come in and say, I led 15 people to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Praise God. And somebody else may say, I shared Christ day in, day out. And nobody received Christ. God is glorified through obedience. Obedient proclamation. Number two, God is glorified through obedience. That as we seek to apply this, God is glorified through proclamation, God is glorified through obedience. So we need to glorify God with our obedience. Not long for another's ministry, not long for another's gifts, not long for a different result, but instead, trust and obey, as we just sang. Instead, be used, be used wherever we find God has placed us. And then thirdly, we need to glorify God through kingdom-mindedness. And I know that my thoughts are radical, And I'm going to continue to bring radical thoughts because I think it's important that we don't focus just on what God's going to do here. Because I believe, I believe God's promise that He will build His church. And by the way, I see amazing things happening in this community. God is shaking things up. He's doing amazing things. And I'm trusting Him for His promise that He will continue to do that. I hear of Church plants in Damariscotta. I hear of church plants in Rockland. I hear of churches being strengthened in Rockland. And I ask, how can we be part of that? God is at work. I want to join Him. I want to be used of Him. Not longing for their ministry, but instead saying, God's given us a unique ministry. How can we help? How can we be kingdom-minded? I don't want what they have. I'm not longing for something different. Praise God for the ministry He's given Harmony Bible Church. But also, let's hold that open. With a, let's hold that with an open hand and say if He gives us a different ministry, that ministry changes and looks different. Praise God. Let's be kingdom-minded. Let's think, what if we smashed all of our idols? What would God do? How could He use us in reaching this community and reaching this world and being part of something way bigger than ourselves. So the challenge is glorify God through proclamation, glorify God through obedience, and glorify God through kingdom mindedness. Because those are traits of someone who is spiritual. It's not about 
being a great speaker. It's not about having this phenomenal gift for all to see. Instead, it's about proclamation, obedience, and kingdom-mindedness. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. God, I pray for an extra measure of it. Help us to see how we may be used of you, by you. How we may be used by you for your glory in this community, in the lives of each other. God, I pray that we would be faithful servants. God, that if there is anyone here that is not born of the Spirit, that does not know your Son, Jesus Christ, that they would come to know Him today, that they would place their trust in Christ and Christ alone. And God, I pray for those that do know You, that we would be not only born of the Spirit, but led by the Spirit. God, that we would be eager to proclaim Your Gospel, that we would be eager to be obedient to You, that we would never seek to build our own kingdoms, but instead to see where You are at work and be used of You for Your glory in building Your kingdom. God, may we live in such a way that we may preach the Gospel, that we may serve You, and that we may love others. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.